Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Back to Goal podcast. We're back with weekly episodes yet again. Um, back with the review this time. Obviously last week we went through our England squads that we would take to the World Cup. But we're back with regular content now with the review like we'll have every Monday. Uh, I'm Cameron Smith, your host today. And joining me as ever is my co-host Jamie Monks. Jamie, how are you doing? Uh, not great today. You know, I've just seen uh, my team get slapped in the Manchester derby. It's been a pretty... Pretty torrid day, actually. Um, but uh, you know, th- there's been some great action over across Europe. So I'm uh, you know, really happy to you know, talk into that, and hopefully not spend too long on the derby. Yeah, we just obviously today we've watched uh, Manchester City sort of tear apart Manchester United at the Etihad um, at will almost at times, um, and we've just watched Lons beat Lyon one nil. A uh, big game in Ligue 1 for the European places there. Um, so we'll start there. Um, we've just watched the game, so a bit, little bit of instant reaction, um, like we've done previously. So you know, we'll kick things straight off with, with some reaction to that game. Obviously, Lawrence picked up the victory. What are your thoughts on the game itself? Uh, well, I thought it was you know fully deserved from Lawrence. I, I thought um, you know they really lacked you know, Leon really lacked any sort of you know creative spark the whole game. I thought. You know, it could have been a much higher scoreline than one nil. I thought you know, Anti Lopez had a great performance to keep it at one nil, which was sort of dam- a, a damning statement on Leon. Yeah, I think that yeah, like you say, Lopez made some spectacular saves throughout the ninety. Um, took a late penalty from Satoka to actually win it for Lons, but yeah, like you say, Lons were completely dominant. I thought Jimmy Cabot, a right wing black, played really really well. Obviously, Jonathan Klaus is sort of replacement in that position at mm. Lons. Um, and yeah, it was it was strange because I was expecting a lot more from Leon from what we've seen. Obviously, it's now four losses in a row, which is their worst run for 31 years. Um, I think Petr Bosch is going to be under some serious huge, pressure huge after pressure. this. Yeah, yeah, four losses in a row for a team like Leon is is not what you really expect. Especially, you know, this is a big game. This is the kind of games that you need to be picking up points in because Lons are going to be rivals for you know, European spaces this year. Mm. And Leon sort of didn't really turn up, and you expect. A little bit more from from the quality they have in their team. You expect to be. I know they were missing a few players. You know, Gusto wasn't playing, Lukaku wasn't playing. But you expect a bit more from Leon, especially in forward areas, because they didn't really create too much, did they? No, I, I, I thought you know they just sort of countered the whole game. They didn't really sustain any pressure in, in the long third throughout the entire ninety minutes, and that was you know just really really poor from Leon. Um, with, with the lineup they had, you, you thought this this was made for a like a, a controlled possession sort of game for them um, but the only time they looked sort of threatening was on the counter and they didn't really create anything from it Yeah I think like you say with Lepinon and um, Kakare in midfield you expect Leon to, to dominate the ball more so than they did you expect you know with the control those two have um, the ability and possession uh, the technical quality they have you expect a little bit more from those two in terms of you know, sustaining pressure. We've seen it in the past. We saw it against PSG actually in that late spell they had in the loss to PSG that Lyon were able to sustain attacks, and that just didn't really happen. Mm. I, I just didn't really feel like there was ever a moment where Lyon's were under severe pressure. It was, it was just comfortable for them. I don't think Lyon ever caused them serious trouble. It was, yeah, like you say, counter-attacking football, and and you expect more. I know you pointed out Ran Cherky is a sort of bright spark for Lyon, mm. but. I mean, it was what was it? His first start. First start, yeah. First start of the, the season, season yeah. yeah. And obviously, you you know, you're not you're not going to expect loads of rhythm from him, having not played too much. But 
it was yeah. It was, I was disappointed with Tete. I don't think he quite had the impact that you, you perhaps expect from a player of his quality. And yeah, Lacazette and, and Carl Tucker can be weren't really in the game at all. No, yeah, they have games like that a lot, though, don't they? Where they just cannot seem to get anything going for themselves in terms of. You know, beating a man for Toko Kambi and holding the ball up well for Lacazette. We saw that, you know, for many years for Arsenal, where nothing would really stick for him during a game. And, um, you know, Leon really suffered from that today. Yeah, well, we'll move on from Lonsley and we sort of discussed that game in a little bit of detail. Um, we'll go on to our game of the weekend section. Um, why don't you kick us off with, with your game of the weekend what impressed uh, you most I'm, I'm going for the, the Friday night Bundesliga game I'm going for Bayern Munich's 4-0 win over Leverkusen you know both teams you know, really out of form Bayern's last win was in August which is you know like unheard of in terms of the Bundesliga over the last four or five years and Bayern Leverkusen you know struggling with relegation yeah, you know, somehow. Fight, yeah fighting yeah. down there not quite sure how but yeah, no. This this was a game that Bayern really stamped their authority and said, "Look, we might have had a bad September, but you know we're back and we're fit and we're firing." Yeah, I think there was, you know, Jamal, Jamal Musiala was was the standout. Oh yeah, he, he from, was amazing. Yeah. From what I saw of the game, and and it's it's not really a surprise considering his rise over the past, you know, twelve month, twelve eighteen months. He's been yeah, so 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 good for Bayern. I, I, when he joined from Chelsea, obviously. It was a bit of a, or is he, you know, is that a bit of a strange move to make as a youngster? You know, Chelsea have perhaps in the past neglected youth, but have seemingly turned towards their academy a little bit more in recent years, especially when they had the transfer ban under Frank Lampard and Musiala left to go to to, Dorm, uh, to Bayern, I should say. Uh, and yeah, sort of almost instantly sort of made an impact, was, mm. was getting sub appearances and now looks like the main man like he, he looks like the star of their team yeah well he's top go- top goal scorer isn't he this season um, but the, yeah on Friday night it was definitely the Musiala show um, obviously picks out uh, Sane for the first goal lovely assist lovely cutback you, you can sort of question taps over and Demre by sort of communication because you know the whole time Sane's just running into the box no one no one between them two really, really tries to pick him up or say drop off or uh, you know, putting put an extra yards to sort of block off that cutback. And for the second goal, you know, the ball gets pinged into him at quite an awkward height. He just sort of flicks it in the air and nods it down to, to Thomas Muller, who obviously uh, plays it back to him and he, he gets a strike off at the near post. You could probably say Hiradetsky should do better. He should probably Def- say... Definitely it. can say Hiradetsky can um, do better. But obviously, you know, he's, he's trying to pick up the corner and uh, he's got the goal for it. Yeah, I think last... Well, the last podcast we did of, of the review, we talked about Horetsky, um costing Leverkusen with a sort of flap from a corner, and then he sort of flapped it again, and then it, it you know conceded, and it's yeah yet again it's there's a bit of an error from him, and obviously mm. the fourth goal, the fourth goal is was just, a complete yeah. error, slip passes it straight to Muller, so uh, it's it's worrying that your keepers making errors like this, especially when you're a team like Leverkusen who should really be fighting for Europe. European places and yeah. you're down at the drop and your keeper's costing you these, these silly goals um, One thing I will say in Musiala as well is um, the way he can play on all angles Like he can play anywhere in the forward line and he's so comfortable there you've got some players like I'm probably talking about like Jadon Sancho who just when he's not on that left hand side he doesn't look as comfortable he can't really play on the, the 360 angles Musiala's a player who you put him anywhere, even in DM, and he'll look like one of the best players on the pitch. Yeah, you've, when he joined, it was he was sort of projected as a future Muller replacement, which yeah. probably is still the case. But 
You've seen him produce some worldly performances off the left. You saw it. He's played there for Germany a fair few times. Played there for Bayern. Has looked really comfortable, sort of cutting in off that off that left with Alfonso Davies, you know, overlapping for Bayern. He's played off the right and looked pretty comfortable. Like you say, he's played in DM a few times, which is a little bit of a surprise when I saw that happen. But you know, he did it. <clears throat> he did it fine, and so. Yeah, he's a special, special talent, and mm. I'm not surprised that he's starting to become Bayern's main man. Yeah, in fixtures yeah, like these. Definitely. Well, his, his first game for Bayern, I think. I think his first start was um, Atletico in the Champions League. He played DM there at the Wanda Metropolitano. Going to be quite an intimidating atmosphere, and he sort of just lapped it all up and was, was one of the best players on the park. And, you know, it just really sums him up as a player. Yeah, and absolutely world-class talent who is well he's one of the best youngsters and probably one of the best players in the world if you take out the youngster tag as well mm. um for me my game of the weekend uh how about anfield uh liverpool's free all draw with brighton uh, roberto deserve picking up a point on his first game in charge for brighton after replacing graham potter and yeah he's it was classic deserve i think the mm. the third goal that brighton score is is deserve to a t the way that they can evade pressure uh, it looks like Brighton might lose it in their own half and, and Webster produced a lovely little sort of turn to, to, to get away from Salah and it's just possession football and, and it creates a chance and, and Trossard scores. Obviously Trossard uh, gets a hat-trick, loves playing against Liverpool, loves playing at Anfield and, and Brighton obviously last season got a great result at Anfield and Wepu scored that sort of cross-come shot that, oh, yeah, that yeah. You know, went into the top corner and yeah, Brighton... There's obviously questions about you know losing Potter, who has sort of revolutionised their side. But Deserby is, we mentioned it has been a, you know is an excellent pickup, and and it's you know showed in his first game here that they weren't afraid you know to going two 0 up at Anfield isn't is no mean feat really. I know Liverpool aren't you know at the level they've shown last season or or in seasons prior, but it's still not an easy place to go. Mm. And Brighton looked really really good. I think that you know Leandro Trossard was excellent. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold was at fault for you know that for that first goal when he sort of gets gets it was his original header that really sort of goes falls to a Brighton player. He then gets spun by Trossard and sort of slips over, um, and Trossard obviously finishes really nicely into to the bottom corner. Uh, the second goal, you probably look at Allison a little bit the way he sort of parries it into yeah, the it's, corner. It's a, it's a weird technique for Allison that you, yeah, you never really seem to do yeah, that he, sort of yeah, one-handed across. Very strange because it's to his right hand side to save and he pushes it to his left. Yeah. You know, left side with his right hand it's quite strange but yeah Brighton looked excellent and then the way that that goal opens up I think it's Solly March who plays it into to Trossard it's, it's just wonderful play and, and Brighton you know continuing on from the form that they've showed you know under Graham Potter with Deserby and, and obviously Liverpool came back into the game um, Diaz came on and no surprise that he sort of made an impact obviously getting the assist for Firmino one of Firmino's goals sort of dancing inside the box and mm. yeah I thought it was a really really good end to end game between two high quality sides and I was glad that Deserbi's Brighton were able to sort of show that they're not just it wasn't a side that you know Graham Potter was you know the main part of it the players are good as well and, and Deserbi's already sort of implemented you know tiny little bits there obviously it's still Potter's team but you know that that third goal, I think, is is very deserving mm. in the way that it unfolds. I, I think the way that they were always trying to play through Liverpool's press as well just sort of sums up Deserby's attitude to to football, the, the game in general. You know, we're, I'm not going to change my style. We're, we're going to keep on trying to play through you. And obviously, that uh, another part of that you could say Liverpool's press is it as sort of intense and um, you know suffocating as it used to be no, probably no, no not chance, no. Um, but you know that's not Brighton's problem and they'll play through you all day 
Yeah, I think the Brighton looked looked very, very good and looked very, very good all season. And Liverpool, questions to be asked because Brighton are a very, very good team, but there were certainly you know areas of the pitch that Liverpool looked pretty open. Mm. Uh, and can, you can certainly play through Liverpool now, which is something you probably couldn't say a couple of years ago. Mm. Um, we'll go into the disappointment of the weekend now. Um, we'll start with you because I know you want to talk about well, you probably don't want to talk about this game, but Manchester United's loss to Manchester City. Yeah, uh, the performance from Eric Ten Hag's side wasn't wasn't very good. Yeah, it's the obvious option, isn't it? And um, you know, obviously lo- losing losing six three is never good. <laughs> but the way the way we sort of just slumped in the first half, um, it was you know really bad. So something we haven't seen since late August against Brentford. <laughs> you know, it's just been a, been a month of pretty good football. Uh, and until now, I just think some of the goals we can see is sort of summed up maybe sort of the, the naivety of Ten Hag to sort of leave the, 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 throughout the game. There's a real gap in terms of the forward line and the midfield, and um, when the, when the forward line tried to press, the, the midfield wasn't was really backing so, up. It was so disjointed yeah. the press. I thought that you know it was you know one or two players are pressing, and when that happens, it's even worse, and no one pressing because mm. like the midfield looks so open. The way that I mean, it's City like they're going to be able to play out of most presses yeah. in world football, and the fact that it was a pretty disjointed, unorganized press meant that it was just so easy for for City to play out through Gundogan, through Cancelo, and it just got out so easy. I mean, the way that sort of McTominay and, and Eriksen were left on their own, and it was just, for some of the goals, it was just, you know, it was it, yeah. was, hard, it was a hard watch, really, to see how open they were. But this this sort of, you know, disjointed press, this is sort of the stuff we've seen under all in that 5-0 loss to Liverpool. You know, it makes me wonder, is, is it the manager's fault, or is it sort of the players not taking on instructions? Because, you know, Ten Hag said after the game, I, I, I didn't tell my team to do that, that they went out there and looked very different to how I sort of instructed them to, uh, to play. And, um, and I think that this is a lot more of a damning statement on the on the players than it is the manager. And I, I just think the third and the fourth goal, they're, they're great team moves, obviously, from from City. And obviously the cross yeah, for, for Haaland's goal from De Bruyne is obviously world-class. There's there's not too many defences in the world that can really stop that. Yeah. But the space they're allowed to get into that position yeah. beforehand is so just it's criminal. It was so easy for De Bruyne to pick up the ball in that yeah. space, the way that... You know, it all unfolding, and sure, you can say it's just an unbelievable cross, and and perhaps no other striker in world football is making it there. Obviously, mm. Haaland's just, you know, a different beast in in the box. But you know, it is concerning how, you know, that's allowed to happen. Obviously, Haaland became the first ever player to to score three consecutive hat tricks at home in the Premier League, um, and yeah, looked inevitable again that he was going to score mm. a, a bucket load against United. Yeah, I mean, what what more can you say about, about Haaland? He's just, he, if he stays fit, he's going to break every record in the Premier League book in terms of goal scoring. But um, one, one thing I will say as well, I, I saw Roy Keane yesterday saying um, we've mistreated Ronaldo and he, he should have been playing today. What on earth would Ronaldo have done in, in, in terms of changing this result? And also, the, the, the guy who comes on before Ronaldo is Martial and he scores two goals. Yeah, obviously, consolation goals, but... To, to say we've mistreated Ronaldo in this situation or Ten Hag's mistreated him when his replacement has come on and scored a brace, uh, I just think you know, sort of the, the discourse around Ronaldo right now is just a bit ridiculous and a bit, a bit overblown. Yeah, I think that yeah, United certainly disappointed. Considering how they played against Liverpool and against Arsenal, it seemed like they were perhaps a team 
that thrived in you know playing against you know better teams where they could hit them on the counter but mm-hmm. it didn't seem like they were trying to play on the counter too much like the way that they were pressing it was sometimes it, it did look a bit strange you were thinking why don't you just sit in the whole time and just try and hit on the counter I know they did it on occasions but you expect to see that a little bit more mm. and yeah City were just you know City were dominant there's nothing taken away from that I thought yeah. Jack Grealish was excellent perhaps one of his best performances in yeah, a City in the, in the first half he was probably yeah, best player on the pitch yeah obviously you know got Dallow yellow carded within a minute or so and looked dangerous throughout so that's a, that's a positive sign for him but as for United, yeah, there was there's certainly worrying signs. And mm. one thing for me is is why was you know Casemiro you know benched for this game. Uh, I understand that Eric Ten Hag has tried, you know, has gone with McTominay and Eriksson for you know the, the best part of a month now, and, and it's sort of worked. Uh, and United have played pretty well, but when you've got a player who's you know with such high esteem as Casemiro, been playing at Real Madrid, has you know come in for seventy million, uh, and you're you know starting Scott McTominay over him, it does sort of sort of questions are asked because I do think that while Casemiro might not have been able to make too much of a difference on the scoreline he certainly would mm. have helped I think with the fragility of the midfield that it looked like yeah, well, we, we saw last time Casemiro played against you know De Bruyne and Gundogan and Bernardo Silva um, at, at the Bernabeu he, he did sort of he didn't he didn't like pocket them but he uh, he certainly put in a lot of tactical fouls which um we were definitely lacking in today obviously didn't get any yellow cards for him but that's that's how Casemiro sort of plays his game he he spends his whole career just avoiding yellow cards um but yeah we definitely needed someone like that to just sort of to say when, when Greenish was breaking for the fourth goal I've just got to take you out right now because that's one thing Ericsson doesn't do he doesn't isn't trying to stop and stop the counter, slow play down, uh, and we we definitely missed that. And and one thing I also will say is, in in these derbies at the Etihad, you have to be so efficient with your possession and make every single time you have the ball count. And when you've got someone like Bruno Fernandez who just lumps the ball up aimlessly at times, thinking I've picked out the Hollywood pass of the season. I, I think it was just you know uh, another big reason as to why we couldn't really get any attacks going in that first half. He was just just going for just ridiculous passes every time he got the ball. Sometimes you've just got to settle the game down and sort of gain some sort of foothold in in the match. And with Bruno on the pitch, you, you're just never going to do that. Yeah, I agree. I think that part of that is perhaps frustration of not really having the ball, and you, you think, oh, I've got to make make it count when I do actually get on it, and rather than, you know, the, the better thing to do is just recycle possession and try and have a sustained period of pressure, which happened slightly better in the second half, but yeah, first half it was completely complete dominance from Manchester City. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on to my disappointment of the weekend then, and uh, it's Borussia Dortmund who lost 3-2 to Köln. Um, Having gone one nil up through for a lovely little goal from from Julian Brandt, lovely little footwork and finish from him, but yeah, it's just pretty lacklustre from Dortmund again. Going, you know, they went three one down and got a consolation goal near, well, a bit more than a consolation near the end, but but couldn't find an equaliser and just disappointing from Dortmund who seem to drop points in these silly little games yeah. all the time. It seems to happen every single season. Um, obviously, they're now down to fourth in the table. Obviously, this, they are level on points with Bayern, so it's perhaps not been a you know, a really bad start to the season, but you'd have said it's been a bad start for Bayern and, and you know, Dortmund having lost three games already, it's it's just a bit frustrating for Dortmund because it seems to be like this all the time. You, you sort of you might have a good performance one week and then the next week mm. you sort of collapse against a team you shouldn't really be collapsing against and it's just sort of the Dortmund way. I was expecting a lot more 
this season. Obviously, they haven't been helped by injuries. I think you know quite a few of their signings have been injured. But yeah, again, like a disappointing you know result against a team that you should really be beating. Yeah, definitely. I think this is this is sort of Dortmund this season that they're going to be a one step forward, two steps back sort of team. Um, we, we saw that with, with the collapse against Werder Bremen uh, last month. I think Edin Terzic, uh, like a lot of the, you know Dortmund managers from the past, can't really seem to get any uh, defensive stability in the team. Yeah, I think it's an issue that Dortmund have had for for several years. It's an issue we all know they have, but it's an issue they haven't seemed to have fixed really. I mean, even with signings of you know Nicolas Sule and Schlotterbeck, it seemed like perhaps they mm. had turned a corner, um, but it, it doesn't quite seem like they have for me, and and it's disappointing because. They've got so much promise. Their team is so sort of. It should be so fun to watch, and you know defeats like this. You know, it's yeah, like you say, it's a step back for, for Dortmund. Mm. Um, we'll move on to player of the weekend section now. Um, we've actually talked about both of the players we've picked uh, a little bit already, so we'll just make this one a little bit shorter. But Jamie, who's your player of the weekend? Uh, I'm going to go with the star boy, the Bayern star boy, Jamal Musiala. Quite an obvious. Pick to be fair, you know, one goal, two assists. You can maybe say, um, you know, the assist for Mane's, Mane's goal, maybe a little bit of a Mickey Mouse assist, but um, you know, just the whole game, the, the, the flicks and tricks he has, the, the way he's so comfortable across any area of the pitch, he, the, the feet obviously as well. It, it's like he's Thomas Muller, but with just unbelievable feet, which is just an amazing combination to have because obviously Muller perhaps hasn't had as much of that technical ability throughout his career. And I, I just think, you know, at 19 years old, he just is going to be, you know, up there with one of the best in the world over the, over the next 10 years. Yeah, I completely agree. There's not much to, more to add other than the fact that yeah, he's an incredible, credible talent. Um, for me, player of the weekend, uh, Leandro Trossard, um, tore Liverpool to shreds. Trent Alexander-Arnold certainly didn't have a, a good time trying to mark him. Uh, it was another pretty poor game from Trent, um, who's... Been in the spotlight recently. Uh, I think it is slightly exaggerated the sort of comments towards him. It, it seems like every you know mistake that you know you can sort of aim at him is being aimed at him. Um, it's just sort of the pressure that he's under right now. And, and to be fair, he he wasn't particularly good in this game. And Leandro Trossard, you know, was excellent. And I think he deserves his flowers. He's been mm. excellent for Brighton for several years. I mean, when he first joined Brighton, I was someone who was pretty frustrated with Leander Trossard a lot of the time because he held onto the ball far too long on, you know, multiple occasions, sort of stunted attacks, slowed down attacks that you're thinking, you know, it's it's time to break and he's taking five or six touches too many. Um but he seems like he's matured now. Um I'm not quite sure if that's Potter or if that's just him developing as a player, but he's now a very, very well rounded player and is one of the Premier League's most underrated players, I think, and, and you know, a hat trick at Anfield shouldn't be sniffed at. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I also think looking at the finishes against uh, Liverpool on you know, the first two on his left foot, he, he could I want more goals from him because in and around that area, off both feet, he can be an absolute killer at times. I, mean, you know, I think he's someone who can sort of target, you know, maybe 15 PL goals in a season if if he really, you know, really wants to. And I think Deserbi can maybe get that out of him. Yeah, I think he's only two away from his, maybe two or three away from his tally from last season already. So perhaps this is the year for Leandro Trossard to hit those heights. Right, time for Premier League review now. Um, we'll move on to discussing the top flight in England. Um, we'll start with one of the biggest stories uh, of the weekend. Arsenal winning the North London derby. Spurs obviously 
had a bit of criticism, I think, over the last month or so for, for how they've been playing and, and results and that kind of thing. And, and Arsenal were truly dominant in this game and looked the far better team. I mean, there were certainly questions over whether Arsenal were serious title challengers. I mean, obviously losing to, to Manchester United, you know, raised a few of those a, a little bit. But winning the North London derby... I know you know home advantage is a, is a massive thing in this derby, but Arsenal looked very good and, and looked comfortable and well deserving of the win, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think yeah, we were saying what was it, fifteen seconds into the game, you know, Spurs try and put a press on him. Uh, you know, early doors, you know, really set the tone for the match, and Arsenal just played through with ease. And you know, you see Jesus chop Richarlison in, in the first couple of seconds, and that really sets the tone. For the match, really, that they were just you know, a, a class above in terms of in possession play. You know, obviously Spurs perhaps didn't want the ball. You know, they were happy just sitting off and doing what they do, which is hit on the counter with with their clinical forwards. But um, yeah, I just thought Arsenal were just very impressive. Yeah, I think that it's time that we start actually considering Arsenal's title challenges, which it's, is it's a worrying it's thought. Just, isn't it's just it? strange to say yeah. in, in October, but. This performance was very good. Arsenal now look very fluid in all facets of the game. They can play out from the back. They can hit on the counter. They've got you know so many different weapons that they can utilise. You got Granit Xhaka being reborn as, as a more advanced number eight. You know Saliba at the back has you know imposed himself as one of the best central defenders in the world. And their system, you know, the players know what to do. I think yeah. Arteta has managed in pre-season managed to drill in what he wants from the players, and just seems fluid, everyone knows what they're doing at all times. I think, you know, Jesus has made a massive impact having a player who can drop deep, who can stretch defences, who's comfortable in possession and, you know, he's such an all-round forward, Gabriel Jesus, and he's been so crucial for Arsenal and the way that they're playing is, you know, is very, very impressive how Artes has managed to turn it around from, you know, maybe 18 months ago when he was being questioned whether he should, you know, be sacked. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, it's, it's become a really well-oiled machine. But um, one one thing I will say is, obviously, there is one-one at one point. Obviously, uh, through the Kane penalty and Gabriel Magales, I, I think at, at, at this moment, I, I really do rate him as a centre back. But at the moment, he's costing, he, he's shipping a lot of goals through his individual areas. You know, we saw Mitrovic pick his pocket against Fulham. Um, obviously, he go, goes to the ground too easily against Bruno for the for the Anthony goal against United. And then yesterday, you know, goes to ground way too easily in the box to try and win the ball from Richarlison. And obviously he's punished for that. Um, yeah, there's, it's concerning. I mean, you mentioned it a couple of podcasts ago about the potential of moving Ben White into centre-back and utilising Tommy Asu yeah. at right-back like Arteta did last year. And it is perhaps an option that he'll look, you know, turn to if mistakes from Gabriel keep happening. Like you say, I really like Gabriel. I think he's a very, very yeah. good defender and has you know attributes that are well desired for a centre half, but yeah, it's maybe the one blemish on you know performance that was very very dominant from Arsenal. As for Spurs, it was just not really particularly impressive at all. I mean, it's very telling when Conte's taking off Son and Richarlison to bring on defensive players at seventy odd minutes or whatever it was to just try and keep the scoreline down, and mm. it looked like it could get pretty heavy after obviously Emerson's red card and. Yeah, for for Spurs, there are certainly questions that you know to be answered because they haven't played well for a lot of this season. They were punished against Sporting in the Champions League, punished here against Arsenal, should have been punished against Chelsea, and it's concerning because you know Spurs fans aren't particularly happy. I don't think the way that they're playing, and there's certainly you know it's not it is quite boring football to watch, and 
it's not particular. And when you, when that's not getting results, you know you're under even more pressure because if you're getting results and football isn't pretty, then you know fine. But when you start losing games, you know especially against you know, your arch rivals, there's certainly Conte will be you know have questions to answer. I think. Yeah, I, I think it, now is the time. Obviously, since this loss, it's the first loss in the Premier League in six months. Let's just you know not go too overboard and say this is a Spurs crisis. But I think now is maybe perhaps the time to freshen up the midfield because I think Hoybjerg and Bentancourt that that pivot is sort of it's going stale a little bit. I think I think you can add Basuma in there either to replace one of Hoybjerg or Bentancourt or go to a three-five-two, which I think you know last last season. At times, when they played the three-five-two, that was when they played the best football. You know that that draw against Liverpool, they probably should have won by three or four goals uh, early on in uh, January, and that's when they played three-five-two uh, with Ndombele, Dali Ali, and Harry Winks. And you'd probably say yeah, a, a midfield three of Hoybjerg, Bentancur, and Basuma was probably you know a, a level above that. Yeah, I think that Conte does like Hoyberg and Bentancur as a duo. And the comments that he made about Bissouma, about his tactical sort of nous needing to improve, were quite telling, I think, because, I mean, Bissouma at Brighton was one of the best central midfielders in the Premier League. Yeah. He was, you know, he played as a six a lot of the time um, and broke up attacks so well and started attacks himself so well. And I do wonder if, why, that he's maybe not utilised Bissouma a little bit more than he has. I understand perhaps not wanting to go with that midfield three um to like you know lose the creativity of Kulisevsky further forward. I know mm. Kulisevsky you know wasn't playing in, in this derby because um, he was injured, but you do sort of worry that there is some creativity lacking if you do play that midfield three. But I would personally just think that Bissouma deserves a shot in the starting lineup. Yeah, whether that's over Hoiberg or Bentancur, I think that he adds. I think he's perhaps a better player than both of them. Um, he certainly showed that at Brighton, and, and maybe there are sides to his game that need to be improved. I know at Brighton, Potter would occasionally, you know, take him out for a game or two, even when you're thinking, well, it's your best midfielder, why, why is that happening? So there is definitely something there, but I don't think that, you know, the answer is keeping Basuma on the bench and, and bringing him off, you know, the last 20 minutes or yeah. so. There's yeah. certainly something there, I think. Yeah, but this, this always happens with Conte in, in terms of, like, he fancies one midfield pivot over the other. You know, it happened in the title-winning season. Fabregas wasn't fancied whatsoever. It was always Kante and Matic. Yeah. And then at Inter, you obviously had you know Stefano Sensi on the bench all the time, and then uh, Brozovic and Barella uh, in the pivot, and then obviously Gagliardini and Vecino sort of filling in as well. Um, but I, I think Kante is stubborn, and I, I think stubborn, he, he, yeah. he will always have his go-to. But I think after a loss like that, where, where you are sort of outplayed, you might need to freshen things up in midfield because they were over on all day. Right, we'll move on to Everton then because they have conceded the least goals in the Premier League and are now seven games unbeaten. Frank Lampard's doing a job, you know, up there, and I think that it's gone a little bit under, you know, under the radar. Their summer business has been very good, I think. Astute business. Their midfield now looks very very good it sort of has everything you'd want from midfield you've got Idrissa Gay sort of playing as the six you've got Anana on the right you've got Iwobi on the left and I think it sort of combines everything you'd ever want from a midfield three they've got everything I think mm. and I think that that's provided the foundations for the run that Everton are currently on I mean I know you're a massive fan of Onana we both you know think he adds a lot and Iwobi's been reborn in that left centre mid role and obviously Gay's back at Goodison Park and knitting it together from the six role yeah, I think in terms of balance, that's certainly one of the uh, 
one of the best midfields in, in the league just in terms of you know stylistic roles sort of knitting together and creating just a, re- a really good midfield and I, I also think you know on, on the on that defensive point you know least least goals conceded you know I, I, I might not rate Connor Cody very highly but what one thing you will say about him and Tarkovsky is they are great box defenders who will just throw yeah. their bodies at everything and I, I think that's you know a huge part of why you know they are technically the best defense in the league right now. Yeah, Everton have been in very good. Um, moving on to Graham Potter's Premier League debut for Chelsea, uh, Conor Gallagher returning to Selhurst Park and scoring the winner. A lovely little curled finish into the top corner that has pushed a little bit further into the top corner um, by Gaeta. But yeah, I think Chelsea were they weren't great. Uh, it wasn't a dominant display. Palace certainly had their moments, especially in the first half where they looked. Looked very, very good. Looked dangerous. Obviously took the lead um, through Odds and Eduard. A great cross from Jordan Ayew and, and finish from him for Fina. You know, loses the ball midfield and then doesn't quite, you know, do enough, I, I feel, um, to sort of stop the cross getting to Eduard. So there's certainly questions there, but it looked more like a back four um, than perhaps previously. Obviously, Wilfred Zaha was pocketed I think really by Rhys James mm-hmm. and then had a little nibble on social media afterwards which um, which is well I'm all for it because normally you do just get the, the PR media trains, Instagram Twitter, you know stories from, from Premier League footballers and, and a little bit of personality from James and Zaha which is always nice to see and I think Conor Gallagher um, that's the main story really coming back to Southwest Park and, and scoring the winner and it was a lovely finish wasn't it? Oh yeah no, an amazing finish um and obviously, first game for Potter at Sellers Park with the Brighton links sort of makes it a bit more personal for him. I mean, you know, he's come out with the win, obviously in dramatic fashion with Gallagher. Um, and I, I saw this this comment on Twitter: um, Gallagher's 90th minute winner. It, it, it's, it's an amazing goal, but the fact he doesn't celebrate is really weird. I think. Really, I. I th- I understand where you're coming from, but I do. Yeah, I, to me, it is still strange. Don't not celebrating against your old clubs, but especially when you've been there last season, was sort of like a a cult hero for the mm. Palace fans going back to Selhurst in front of them. I suppose they ninth minute winner. Mm. You want to yeah, but yeah, scoring a goal like that in the ninth minute makes me think: is every goal is, in terms of celebrations? Is it just fake? Because if if you can just mute your celebrations like that so easily, maybe it's just Gallagher's a complete robot, but. If, if I scored a goal like that to win the game in the 90th minute, I would have gone absolutely berserk. Yeah, I think, yeah, me too, to be fair. So, yeah, it's a good point. I hadn't really thought of that. Um, but, it, yeah, very are, good point. Yeah, my, my point is, are celebrations just all a fugazi? Is it all just an act for the cameras? Because it seems like scoring goals for them is just like, oh, whatever. Yeah. If, if Gallagher's going to celebrate like that. <laughs> Maybe. Just the point uh, of like analysis on Gallagher, it, I think that that was proof of where he should really be playing. I yeah, think you know more, more advanced, more yeah. advanced, further forward. He has a goal for it. I think we saw it for obviously he got dropped down to the England under twenty ones in the international break and played really well. Mm. I did actually watch England under twenty ones game uh, against Italy because the England under twenty one side is very f- is it's really fun. The you know the players mm. in there are pretty fun and Gallagher was excellent, just winning the ball up high. He d- doing what he does best. He w- wins the ball up high. Um, Brewster gets a couple early on, and, and Gallagher was pivotal to the, to that win. Um, to the goals that were scored, and uh, yeah, I think that he has shown where he should be played. He shouldn't be played in the double pivot. He doesn't have the qualities to do that, but he has qualities he can offer further forward in the pitch. So I feel like he might be a player that Potter actually quite fancies, really. Mm. Uh, yeah, if if they play the four three three, he could be that advanced eight. 
maybe there's a bit of clashing of heads between him and Mount yeah, in terms you, of... You imagine those two can't coexist, yeah, I don't think, yeah, particularly. Definitely. I know they coexisted in the, the Chelsea youth set-up and actually watching them play together, you know, they looked pretty good actually when they were coming through together in the Chelsea Academy, but I don't think at senior football they work together particularly unless you've got a proper sitting six, which Chelsea don't have. Yeah. So I don't think that's a thing we'll actually see too often. Um, moving on to Newcastle, just very quickly, we'll touch on them. 4-1 win over Fulham. Um, Alvaron scored an absolute worldie. Yeah. Um, I think he's the last in, in the game, equaled his tally from you know 50 games worth, I think, you know, obviously getting a brace. And one thing we wanted to, to note was, was Bruno Guimaraes' assist for that goal. It was a bit of a loopy assist, the way he sort of passed it back to Yeah, Al- Almiron Defoe makes the pass look a lot better because it's it's not for Bruno's standards it's not one of his best passes he's usually renowned for them sort of reverse passes one twos with, with the wingers and the fullbacks but um, not his best pass but you know got an assist out of it so yeah. it'll, it'll definitely take that watching the, the highlights of of Bruno's game and you can definitely see what he likes to do in terms of a winger cutting inside plays it to him and, and, and he sort of plays it back into their path um, and yeah it is pretty is is lovely to see really, mm. um, and I think that him being back is is massive for Newcastle. Um, you pointed out actually, you know, the, the games that he missed um, in August September. Obviously, they drew to Wolves, uh, lost to Liverpool, and drew to Palace. So you know, there's there's points to be picked up there, and and he wasn't playing. And and while he's maybe not the only reason they didn't pick up points in those games, I mean, the Liverpool game they they shouldn't really have lost. Um, mm. But in terms of picking up wins, he was you know they they didn't win with him out the side, and and it does show I think how crucial he is to them. <laughs> Right, on to League On now. It's League On time. Um, we'll start with PSG. Uh, 2-1 winners over Nice. Um, Messi opens the scoring with, with a wonderful free kick, but it's what we expect from Lionel Messi. He's become you know, known for that over the years. I think you pointed out the, the fact that the advertising boards changed the goat as he kicks the ball was a, a nice touch. Just a shameless. Poetic touch. Um, but one thing I think we want to talk touch on just quickly about the game um, was Mukiele. You've obviously mentioned it before that you want him seeing play, see him playing in that right centre back role, and mm. and he played quite a big role in you know the Nice equaliser and the PSG winner. Yeah, uh, I mean obviously the, the cross comes in from from the right hand side, and um, I think Mukiele sort of anticipating you know Diop gets in front of him, which in itself is you know quite quite a bad error from him. But he expects Sofian Diop to get something on the cross because it's literally an inch away from him, and he. He sort of doesn't react well to it, does he? It sort of bounces over his head. He's he's late to react, and then obviously Laborde eventually finishes it off. Um, but then obviously he, he makes up for it with you know great persistence down the right hand side. You know wins the ball, passes it inside to Vitinha, and then he carries on his run uh, to the outside and cuts it back to Mbappe, who obviously finishes off. And um, you know it was a great way to sort of make amends for his error for the equaliser and. Um, you know, obviously got got the win uh, for PSG. Yeah, it felt felt like a a big win for PSG. It seems kind of, it was kind of like what we saw on the the Poch really, where Mbappe was sort of bailing them out with, with late goals mm-hmm. that you, you're winning games. But yeah, and they've still got that fighting spirit, so that that's a good sign for them. Um, on to Lorient, two one winners over Lille, and that's now five wins in a row for Lorient, who are now up to third. And we mentioned it. Last time we did a review, um, how they've been one of the surprise packages in League One, and, and they're carrying on their form. I mean, Lille are a side that you know have been sort of decimated by 
you know, selling talent, but they're still a good side and, and look pretty decent this year under Fonseca. And I think Lorient, you know, 2-1 winners is a, it's a big win for them. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. Um, I think along with Lond and Lorient with them, they're sort of these a uh, little bit of a bogey team in terms of on paper you'd think this this should be you know a, a straightforward win, but it never is. It, they always put up a, you know a huge fight, and uh, obviously getting the, the win over Lille was you know a huge win for them. Um, quickly touch on Florian Balogun, who's you know scored again for Reims. That's now six goals in Ligue 1, as well as two assists in in nine games this season. Um, interestingly, on loan at, at Middlesbrough last year, he only got three goals in the Championship all, all year. So. You know he's doubled that tally already uh, for Reem in Ligue 1, and it's nice to see him, him get some form. I think that he was never really given a chance in the, you know the Premier League for Arsenal. I know he played in that um, opening day loss to Brentford last season, but you know other than that, that was just due to injuries, I think. And, mm. and other than that, he never really got too much of a, of a looking really. And it's nice to see him, him scoring goals. Um, and as for scoring goals, with Sam Banyeda, you know, hat trick for Monaco and their 4-1 win over Nantes. Uh, and Monaco just looked really deadly on the counter attack, didn't they? I mean, Mbolo, yeah. Golovin, Benyeda—they've they've certainly got you know the ability to hit teams on the counter attack, and they did it with you know superb you know, nature in this game. Yeah, no, I, I really like the sort of the balance in that front line. Obviously, Benyeda's not someone who's going to really stretch defensive. He doesn't really have the legs for that anymore. But he, with someone like Mbolo, who really can, you know, when he opens up his stride, you know, uh, obviously for the first goal, he. he it's his shot that gets saved by Lafont, and then Benyeda taps it in, and then and then the move for the the, the second goal, uh, Mbola passes it out to Golovin first time inside to Benyeda, and you know Benyeda finishes as as he always does, you know emphatically. Yeah, it's nice to see Mbolo, you know, getting a run of games together. I think he's a player who had so much potential when he was coming through at Basel. Yeah, made the move to Gladbach, and it never really, you know, hit the heights. You know, injury sort of stunted that progression, and I think that. Yeah, he was maybe always outshone at Gladbach by the likes of Marcus Turan by Alessand Player, yeah. and now it seems like it's perhaps his turn, his time to you know hit the big stage. And I think he's he's done well so far at Monaco. I think mm. it's a transfer we both like, and I think that while he hasn't perhaps you know smashed things up and has looked like the best player in the league, he's he's certainly been good, and I think that's a positive for him. Mm. Right, Serie A time. Uh, we'll start with. Inter Milan's loss to Roma, um, a massive win for Jose Mourinho's side. Obviously, Mourinho was was watching it in a van in the car park outside the San Siro because of his touchline ban. Um, Inzaghi's in a little bit of trouble, I think. You yeah. Know, down to ninth, Inter. Obviously, you know, missed out on the title narrowly last season, and, and they've not really got going this season at all. And, and you know, this is a big win for Roma. It's a game that you know, at home at San Siro, you expect Inter to make a you know a statement win, and, and it's Roma who come away with all three points. Yeah, no, Inzaghi is definitely someone who should be fearing for his job. What was it? Four wins, four losses, zero draws, and you know, the the, the loss against Milan, obviously in the derby, was not great. And this is another game where it's sort of or just passed them by really they were quite passive in terms of you know their, their possession and how, how they attacked uh, obviously they, they get the lead through um, you know nice play by Barella uh, in midfield he, he sort of slips it through to DeMarco but the, the work's not done there he, DeMarco takes on his weaker foot but Patricia should do a lot better it, it shouldn't go in should uh, it? I, it's such a scuffy yeah. sort of wet finish the way he sort of just doesn't really move his feet adjust his feet in time to, to get down to it I think Rui Patricio, you know, 
he's been a, a superb keeper, but I, I'm not quite sure he's at the level at the moment. Yeah. Um, you know, for Roma, who obviously he's been bailed out by his teammates here, but that is a big error that he just doesn't seem to move his feet quick enough, and he sort of you yeah, know, it, go, it, expects it, to yeah. go one way yeah. and then goes the other, and, and he, he just can't ste- get. He steps to the left way too early, yeah, he, and then he's just scrambling back. Yeah, he, can't, he can't get down in time, and yeah, it was that's quite painful to watch the way he's sort of he's like stuck in mud. Yeah, uh, and you know the the, the equaliser for Roma is another sort of goalkeeper error, I think. Obviously, Barella. You know, slack in midfield, loses it where he shouldn't really. Spinazzola picks that across to Dybala, who sort of just, you know, his volley just goes straight into the ground and Handanovic just sort of pushes it into the roof of the net. It sort of, sort of reminded me of Muller's header against Czech in the Champions League final in 2012. Obviously, mm. you know, that was a header, you know, Dybala's effort was a volley, but the way it sort of just bounces up and the keeper just sort of pushes it into the roof of the net and, yeah, Handanovic should do better yeah. and... I think that it, it is it time for Onana yeah, to probably. start in Serie A. One, one thing I will say: the Dybala volley, it's not a bad scuff. Yeah, the, no, no, no. The, the shot, the volley itself, still has like a lot of power on it. It's probably quite hard to keep out, but someone like Handanovic, you expect to do a lot better there. And I think even you know over the last three years since Inter have been title challengers, you know, back when Conte first came in. He's cost them too many times in the Champions League, especially you know failing to get out of the groups in Conte's first season, um, and even when they won the league, he was he I don't think was up to the level in terms of you know just the consistent errors throughout the season. Yeah. Uh, I think it definitely is time for like, Onana to come into the fold. Yeah, obviously Smalling wins it with a lovely header um, from a free kick, and you know it's nice to see Chris Smalling doing well in Serie. A. Obviously mm. had his critics a lot of the time when he's at Manchester United, but he's been really good at Roma. And you know it's a big win for Roma, and another big win was was for Milan uh, away at Empoli. It looked, you know, the first goal, um, Leal was in you know, great positioning from the throw, and obviously can't be aside from a throw and, and and sets up Rebic. But when when you concede an equaliser in like the ninety second minute, you, you kind of think it's all over, don't yeah. you? And then Milan, you know, straight from kickoff, got yeah, the yeah, other it was, end. It was amazing to watch. It was like a basketball game where they just lump it up as fast as you can. And obviously, it's lumped up. Krunic just nods it on uh, to the back stick, and Balotelli of all people just there to finish off. Got uh, quite a quite a calm finish actually under the circumstances as well. Yeah. Slots in, slots in very nicely. Yeah, great. I mean, honestly, seems like watch this if you haven't already. You, the equaliser from Empoli, you know, is, is pretty. You know, it's great. And then you know, you think it's done. You think, oh, we picked up a point against the reigning champions. We, we've done our job. And literally straight from kickoff, mm. it's Route One football, and Balotelli, uh, you know, grabs. You know, what we think is the winner and, and then Leao obviously gets a clincher you know, a little bit later on in stoppage time and the way I want to point out the way, the way that Leao is running bearing down on goal it is such a, a killer move he, the mm. whole time he's running running, he's got you can see like, from the highlights you just see like white coming from like his, his teeth and it's just like he's going down on goal it's a great finish where he just dinks over the keeper but he's just smiling while he's bearing yeah. down on goal and I just think how he's just like you know got a grin on his face as he's like yeah. facing the keeper one on one I just go wow that is that is a player yeah that's that's someone who's really assured in their ability isn't it and um, I, I think you know this week against Chelsea you know, could he have some sort of similar sort of impact on the game where he sort of wins it for Milan and hopefully we see him smiling at Kepa as he chips him again that'd be good to see <laughs> yeah Milan obviously you know injury ridden really so it's a big win for them you know doing it without a couple of your star men mm. is always you know an encouraging sign when you're going for a title and this was a, a great win um, quickly touch on the Lazio game uh, I watched a little bit of it not too much I saw the Rubignoli finish a great little volley from uh, outside the area um, Ethan Ampadu didn't have a great first half um, frustrating for him 
I did expect him to get a better loan move than Spezia after he was so good for Venezia last year. Perhaps expect him to stay at Chelsea and be a squad player, but I certainly expected a loan move that would have been of a higher quality team than Spezia if it happened, but a bit of a disappointing day for him at Lazio. Mm, yeah, no, I, I just think that the, obviously the loan move at Venezia worked out well. He was, he was very impressive there at the end, but apart from that, we, we saw glimpses perhaps in Sarri's um, first and only season at Chelsea that he, he could be a, you know, a really good talent, a really good you know, player for Chelsea, but apart from that, you know, the loan move to Sheffield United was didn't really work out. Was particularly. pretty horrid, actually. Yeah. Uh, I thought, and then uh, obviously we went to Leipzig as well, where he didn't impress too much. Didn't really play. Yeah, yeah. yeah obviously didn't get the chance, maybe. But um, you know, I, I just think apart from that uh, loan move to Venezia, has he really proved himself to be you know uh, the top talent that we once thought he was? We'll move on to Sassuolo just quickly. Uh, Loriente was very very lively. Looked really impressive. Um, so that's where obviously 5-0 winners over Salernitana and they remain one of the, you know, the most fun teams to watch in Serie A I love watching Sassuolo I have done for you know many years yeah ever since you know the Deserbi team you know with Boga uh, with uh, Caputo you know they've always been amazing to watch and that sort of continued and obviously you know Loriente has that you know, really energetic performance where he's you know running half half the pitch by himself. Uh, d- doesn't quite finish that chance, but you know, obviously, you know, sh- showing his qualities there, and obviously the the finishes from Sassuolo are em- emphatic as well. Yeah, no, obviously Sassuolo, they're only eighth, which is kind of strange to think about. But a team who are doing you know slightly better than that, uh, joint top, you know, second at the moment on goal difference is Atalanta. Picked up a one nil win over Fiorentina. Um, you know, a poacher's effort uh, from Adam Lukman. Um Fiorentina probably should have won this game. I think they dominated. I, I did tune in for for fair, large chunks of of mm-hmm. this game and. The goal was, you know, you'd be disappointed if you're Fiorentina there. Muriel sort of bundles his way through down, you know, down the touchline and manages just to, you know, square it for Lookman, who's just sort of left free inside the six-yard box. And you, you should be looking around at your centre-halves and thinking, who's marking him there? And Because he shouldn't really be free inside the six-yard box to tap in. And it's disappointing for Fiorentina because, you know, they're quite a good side. I quite like Fiorentina, but they never quite seem to hit the heights they perhaps should do and results yeah. like this you're like we probably should have won this game but Atalanta managed to grind out a result and we've mentioned it before they're not quite as fun as they used to be perhaps under you know Gasparini's first edition of this side but you know they're getting results and they're you know they're you know they're right in the mix for the title yeah. at the yeah, moment um, which is impressive I, I think the Luckman and Muriel sort of link up I think, I think could be really fun to watch as well this season um, obviously we, we've seen Luckman before you know go go across Europe you know with Leipzig and sort of have, have a sort of flash in the pan moment Yeah. and you're just hoping this time that he's, he's going to sort of light up a, a little bit more yeah I think he's been encouraging signs to start for Luckman and an encouraging sign as well in Serie A as Juventus who finally look well it's a bit early to say they've turned a corner but they beat Bologna 3-0 they look like a competent football team yeah, yeah. they scored some goals they you know put together some attacks obviously Kostic got the first Vlahovic and Emilic so he's sort of the forward players are getting on the score sheet um, you know the Kostic goal is sort of a bounce finish type of thing whether he yeah, means well, it or it's, not it's one, uh, one Mesut Urza would have been proud of yeah. a little bobble into the floor yeah. Bounces up, posted in, lovely stuff. Yeah, I think the keeper should do potentially a little bit better for Vlahovic's goal. Um, and as for Milik, he sort of got his goal in the end after missing a couple of chances. Um, finally, on the score shot. I still find it strange to think that, that Milik is at Juventus yeah. after not perhaps really impressing too much at Marseille. 
is now playing for arguably one of the biggest, well, one of the biggest teams in Serie A, if mm. not the biggest, um, despite not really impressing at Marseille. Yeah, and Milik's always going to have games like this, isn't he? Where he'll have three chances, he'll absolutely he'll make a meal of the first two, and then suddenly he'll finish off emphatically. But yeah, you know, a really important win for Juve to sort of maybe get some momentum going. Yeah, what I think is it's been you know made a massive deal of. Juventus is poor start to the season, but you look at it, they're you know ahead of Inter by a point, um, and you know they're three points off Roma, who I think we've you know thought they've had a very good start to the season, and they have. But Juve's start has perhaps been you know drawn out a little bit more than it has. I mean they've only lost one game. I know there's been a lot of draws in there, and it's been against teams that you expect them to beat, and they've been very poor to watch. So you know perhaps criticism is fair, but. I don't think Juventus are any, by any stretch, you know, out of the race for Champions League places, or if they can turn it around a little bit more of the title. But I, I don't quite see that happening. But potentially, who knows? Yeah. Right, Bundesliga time. Um, we've mentioned Bayern Munich and Dortmund's games, you know, at the top of the podcast. So we'll, you know, skip over them. Um, we'll first mention Frankfurt beating, you know. The team at the top of the table, Union Berlin, who are still the, top the of the unbeaten t- Union Berlin yeah. until this weekend. Yeah. yeah, they're still top of the table, first defeat of the season. Um, I think it's fair to say that you know Union Berlin got Union Berlin. Mm. You know Frankfurt had less shots, less shots on target, less possession, and they won the game two 0 Yeah, you just mentioned it there. You know Frankfurt really grinded out this result uh, against such a you know a competitive team, a, a real sort of mountain to get over when they're playing well. Yeah, Union Berlin. I think you uh, all mentioned the first goal. Obviously, Kolomwani is a great run down the right and, and sets up Goetze. But mm. the composure, I think, from Lindstrom for the second goal that Frankfurt scores, a goal that you really enjoyed, the way he cut inside and then oh, sort yeah, of yeah. faked a shot and then just sneaked in the near post. That, that's that sort of finish where you're sort of, you're sort of cutting inside um, and you just get it the shot off before the keeper expects it and sort of sneak it into the near post. That's a finish you don't really see very often you know, at the, the top level of football. But when, when it does happen... It usually comes comes off more often than that. Yeah, he doesn't take much power on that shot either. The way you can sort of just mm. dance inside and sort of pass it into the near post, the way the keepers they all you always expect the far you know, post, yeah, finish. the finesse finish into the into the corner. But near post is, I mean, it's not the same finish, but the way Mbappe likes to shift it and go near post, it works yeah, a lot of the time. It's, so yeah, it's that hip snap that yeah, Mbappe does, isn't it? Yeah, um, and it worked here for Lindstrom mostly. Colin Wani set up the first one and then was sent off in the second half. But you know Frankfurt still got you know the job done. Ulian Berlin still top um, and still right in the fight for for European football. And I mm. think it'd be great to see them in the Champions League. Um, on to Leipzig, four 0 winners over Bochum. Um, Werner and Nkunku both you know got a brace. Nkunku scored a penalty, missed the penalty, and, and then scored another. Um, but I think it was classic Bundesliga at the time. The way that Bochum yeah. was so high their defence. I mean, uh, I think for the third goal, their right back is just so much deeper than the rest. Obviously, the ball sort of forced then forced the Werner about six yards out, and it's, it's a tap in for him. But I think that you've got you've got you've got to know against Werner and Kunku. You're going to get punished I know, if, if you're too high. I know it's Bundesliga and they just love playing a high line, but yeah. you've surely got to learn against Leipzig. That's just not the way you're ever going to yeah. get a result. With those two players on the pitch, it's 
you've, you've got to learn and they didn't learn at all and Leipzig were, were fairly dominant in that game yeah. well this is where Werner's always going to shine isn't it when defences just say is 50 yards in behind just run just yeah. run into it and, and finish because you know the finish for the first goal it, it's emphatic great. it's a great finish from, for the first and goal it, really it sort of shows that his confidence is sort of coming back to him now being back at Leipzig, it's good to see his confidence back. Because obviously at Chelsea, there was times where you go through a goal and you'd think, just pass it out for a goal kick. There's no way you're scoring. <laughs> um, and obviously, you know, some of the sitters he missed as well. Just the easy tappings. Um, but obviously, you know, just showed how how sort of low he was at Chelsea. But you know, to see him back, you know, scoring again, got a hat trick in the uh, the cup uh, a few weeks ago, and it's it's great to see him, you know, firing again. Another team who were firing were Werder Bremen, who beat Gladbach 5-1. They were 4-0 up after 37 minutes, and Gladbach were poor. Poor, very, very poor defensively. I think it's um, Joe Scally's asleep for the first goal. He's just get beaten to a cross by Fulkrug. Ben Sabaini, the header back towards goal that he produces is awful. And then the defence is just sleeping, really. The way that... Douche is allowed to just sort of run through and go. He's then tackled and just squares for Fulcrum to score. And like Elvedi and Bensabaini are just. I mean, Bensabaini has made a, a you know a catastrophic error here. He's headed it back to his own goal, basically on the halfway line. I mean, it's never going to reach the keeper. Mm. And he just stops and watches it happen. I mean, if it's your error, it's what you're told at, you know when you're growing up. If you make an error, you know you lose the ball, you go and win it back. Make up for it. And yeah, yeah he heads it. You know, I don't really know what he's trying to do, and he just stops and sort of watches him and Alvedi just there, just sort of jogging. Alvedi makes a tiny bit of effort towards the end, but it's far too late. And you know, you know, Fulcrum's just got a tap in from six yards when you look at it, and Alvedi and Bentsboni could easily get back to yeah. him and prevent that goal if they just sprinted from the start rather than you know stopped and watching. I mean, we saw it with someone like Lewis Dunk. The goal, you know, his just sort of attempted tackle for Firmino's goal. Uh, the first guy, I think, at Anfield, you know, if he carried on running, he probably could have blocked. He he tried to, you know, slide tackle and block way too early, but mm. at least he tried to get there. It just reminded me of like he sprinted back. You can see him sprinting to try and get there. You watch someone like Ben Spini just, you know, make an error and then just, you know, just watch everything unfold, and it's just it's really really poor. And then Ben Spini scores an own goal. I don't really know what he's trying to do. It's sort of the cross to the back post. He sort of tries to flick it with his left foot. Even and I don't really know if he's trying to control it, pass it back to the goalkeeper, flick it out for a corner, or I don't. I yeah, genuinely it, it, it doesn't know, clueless make, yeah. to what he's trying to do, and it just doesn't know, make sense. Sails past the keeper. Um, but a lovely finish, though. Yeah, great finish. Unfortunately, it was just in his wrong goal. Yeah. Another good finish was Marcus Turam sort of got a consolation. It was you know round at the keeper really nicely, and and then yeah, you know Bremen get a fifth towards the end of the game, and, and Gladbach is just an absolute meltdown for them who. It looked like they perhaps turned a corner, but no, they're you know with the win over Leipzig. But no, it's just it's not. I, really I think this is going to be their season as well. You know, it's not it's not the Marco Rosa team of old where they sort of you know had that really good push for the Champions League and obviously got into the into the top four that season. Um, I think this is going to be a really tough season for them. And you're not a massive fan of Daniel Farker either, are you? No, oh, well, I mean you just look at his time at Norwich in the in the Premier League. Obviously, in the Championship, it's a different. Different prospects, and obviously you're expected Norwich, a team like Norwich, are expected to sort of get promoted. But when they're, when they're in the Premier League, when Daniel Farker has been in the Premier League, he's, he's been nothing short of an absolute embarrassment, and that sort of showed yesterday because that, that was an embarrassing loss for Gladbach. La Liga uh, onto the final of Europe's top five leagues. Um, we'll quickly go through La Liga. Then we'll start with Athletic Club with another win, a 4-0 win over Almeria. 
and we've spoken about it before, but the Williams brothers were sort of the stars of the show yet yeah, again. Just amazing to watch, aren't they? It's so cool, just sort of you know playing with your brother on on the biggest stage. Mm. Um, obviously, Nico gets the assist for Anaki, a lovely little cross and a flipped header, and on his, on his weak foot as well. Yeah, the left foot crosses. Just you look at it and you think it, he's got to be left footed, surely, but no. That that's his weak foot. Uh, he just shows the sort of technical technical quality that he has. Yeah, lovely flicked he- flicked header from Anaki. Sunset scored again, smacked finish, and Nico's goal was was pretty scrappy the way he bundles through. But, you know, but he's, got he's the persistent, job done. isn't he? Yeah, yeah, really nice. And you know, he's he's not all just technical. You know, nice fancy stuff. You can do the hard stuff as well. You sort of the way he just powers through there is is really nice to see. And yeah, athletics stay third, which is. A great story, and yeah, there's definitely one of the feel good stories of the season so far. You know, two brothers sort of ca- carrying the, the the club on their shoulders at times. Uh, I think that this could be, you know, maybe this season where they they finally qualify for the Champions League again. You know, it's, it's been a while since they've been at Europeans top level, and obviously with you know Sevilla, we'll, we'll talk about them shortly being so off the pace. I think this sort of opens the door for them to sort of maybe challenge for the top four. Yeah, Sevilla have been poor this season and obviously they lost 2-0 to Atletico um, and yeah like you say Sevilla's poor form has opened up the opportunity for Athletic Club for, for Real Betis to, to get into the Champions League and as for the game Atleti were the better team Lorente you know it's a nice finish where he shifts it to the right and sort of powers it across goal mm. um, and I think that you know the defending from Carmona for the second is really really weak just the way he loses it to Cunha is just so poor and, and Morata just Lovely little chip finish, um, and Atleti two 0 winners, and you know deserving winners. Yeah, Sevilla were poor. Yeah, definitely. We, we were also having this conversation before um, about Marcus Lorente. You know, do Real Madrid miss the fact that he's not there? Uh, you know, because obviously he's gone to Atletico and become you know a, a great a great player. But then we realise that they've got the exact same player in Fede Valverde. Yeah, they are, they're almost they are like quite, carbon They are quite similar in the way they. Sort of uh, traditionally, you'd think of them as a central midfielder. A lot of the time, play off the right with mm. their sort of energy and their sort of road runner. They you know style they bring, and obviously very technically proficient, and have got a lot of power behind them as well, a lot mm. of pace. And yeah, they are weirdly actually quite similar players. Yeah. So, and I think Real Madrid have got the better player for sure. But Llorente's you know he's no slouch. He's a very very good player, and mm. Atleti have got a class player in there. Um, we'll move on to Barcelona then. Um, a 1-0 win over Mallorca Lewandowski goal um, I think Barcelona had something like 72% possession it was just a lot of passing but it didn't create too much um, and I think the jury's definitely still out on Xavi yeah. we've mentioned it before we're not totally convinced that he is perhaps the manager that he's been billed, at, billed as before I'm not quite sure he's you know, you know, know, the next elite manager at least from what he's shown before for the goal itself it's really neat neat work from Ansu Fati yeah, the way he sort of dances yeah. away it's great to see Fatty sort of showing the player that he can be again because obviously you know he struggled with injuries for so long, but when he gets out on that left wing, he can be just devastating in his you know his body manipulation and his, and his footwork. Yeah, the feints are just so quick and the mo- the movement with with the feet without the ball and it's yeah is is great to watch and you know he passed it down the line to Lewandowski and then I don't really know what Antonio Rayo is trying to do. He sort of just doesn't close Lewandowski down who then just eventually cuts inside and just bends one into the corner it's a great finish the defending certainly questionable and, and Barcelona just get the job done I think it's one of those where you take the points and sort of run you, yeah. just, you don't really think about it too much because it, it wasn't a you know a, a great game for them and as for the, sort of their El Clasico rivals um, you know Madrid you know were 
held by Osasuna. Um, disappointing for them. You know, obviously, Vinny gets the first goal with a, a cross come shot, probably. It's a cross. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's cross. definitely a cross. Um, but obviously, that goes in, and you think it's going to be a fairly routine win. When, yeah, you when, think they're going to, you know, get into their stride and then, yeah. you know, see, you know, get a couple more, but it doesn't really happen. But then that Osasuna goal in the second half, you know, is sort of. It's, it's questionable keeping from Lunin, maybe a little very bit. questioning. The way he sort of, sort steps. of steps to the right a bit too early, but also the header itself, um, you know, from Kike Garcia, it's quite an amazing sort of flicked on header. You, you don't really see that very often in the game where the cross comes in. It's, it's probably not intended for him originally, but he sort of improvises, you know, flicks it on and, you know, he finds a top corner with it. Yeah, the one frustrating thing for Real Madrid, I think, is that Karim Benzema has a chance to win it. Uh, obviously, he's sort of shoved over in the box. It's a, The ref some, somehow doesn't, doesn't, see, it. doesn't yeah. see it, doesn't give us a penalty originally. A VAR checks it, red card, and Benzema steps up and absolutely smacks the bar, like, so hard. There was the sound it makes. It's, oh, it's, it's an amazing sense. sound, but... Um, not an amazing penalty. Yeah, obviously not the result he wants, but, you know, he'll look back and think, wow, what a great crossbar noise that was then. <laughs> the keeper actually reads it. I think he... You know, yeah. he doesn't move, he doesn't dive, he st- stands still in the middle and, and Benzema hits it down the middle, it's just a bit too high, really, just smacks the ball. Mm. I think I think maybe the keeper thinks, you know, in, in these clutch sort of penalties that you need to score in the past, you know, obviously uh, Benzema chips Edison at the, at the Etihad course, last season, yeah. so maybe he just thinks, I'll stay down the middle here and gamble, because if, if he dives, he's going to look like a bit of a... Bit, bit of a fool and obviously he reads it well and perhaps him staying in the middle sort of almost puts off Benzema at, at the last he has moment to smash it even yeah, harder at the last moment because if he doesn't see him going already it means in his head he's like oh god I've actually got to somehow place this fairly yeah. well yeah and obviously that makes him you know smash the crossbar yeah I think what was funny we noticed actually was Vinicius Junior just start sees Benzema running up and actually started celebrating like he's scored and then sort of sees it hits the bar and it's just hands on head moment yeah. and I mean I mean, I don't really blame him. I mean, I think Benzema, you expect him to score that. You expect him to, to step up. But yeah, drop points for Real Madrid. It's disappointing for them because yeah. you expect a game against, you know, at home to Osasuna, they win. And obviously they're now, you know, down to second. Um, Barcelona are top on goal difference. Obviously, if they'd managed to get the win against Osasuna, then Madrid would still be top. But, mm. you know, level on points. So it's all still to play for. But They've sort of let Barcelona in there, got, yeah. you know, let them in, get away with one. Really, you know, will Benzema, you know, sort of rue that miss come the end of the season? Will that be, you know, the deciding factor in that title race? Potentially. Um, we'll finish with one last game uh, from La Liga, uh, an eight-goal thriller between Girona and Real Sociedad. Um, no Mo Mocho, no Sadiq, and it was sort of no problem for for Real Sociedad. Mm. Um, Alexander Solov stepped up, stepped up to the plate, didn't he? Got in a big brace. fashion, yeah. Yeah, the first goal, it's. Sort of good movement from him. Got a little bit lucky the, the finish. The second one is a, is a lovely little chest and volley. Um, the goal that he scores, I think. That, that, that's what one thing you can always get with Solov. That sort of he, he can sort of pin his man at the back post and sort of peel off. And then he, he can he does have that finish in his locker away. He can be devastating at times. Obviously, we didn't see that enough at Palace uh, in, in his in his spell there. But you know he, he's shown it uh, against Girona. Yeah, for. Sharona's, you know, goal the first one is an absolutely unreal finish from Raquel May. Um, you know, living up to the name, yeah. I, some would say the way he sort of cuts in off the left and absolutely rips one into the to the near post top corner. It's an unbelievable strike. Um, I'm not quite sure you can question the keeper for that goal. You certainly can question him for the second goal. The way he tries to sort of 
kick it away. Sort of, it's, it's really low the finish, and he sort of just tries to hoof it away. Really strange. Why he wouldn't sort of just try and collect with your hands? He yeah. sort of just tries to kick it away. Or, or even just parry it away with your yeah. hands. The way it's a schoolboy, isn't it? The yeah. way he sort of tries to sort of clear that away. Yeah. One goal that was, you know, very well taken though was the fifth goal for for Sociedad. Taki Kubo. It was a great finish, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, he, he, we know he's got that in his locker. That sort of devastating finish. The, the, the way he sort of shifts it so quickly and and the, the short backlift on the strike the, the keeper really never gets set you know to try and save the shot and um you know just just a really great finish from you know potentially you know a great young talent yeah we've been waiting for him to burst onto the scene a lot like he's mm. shown glimpses on loan at like Mallorca and yeah. stuff but i really want kubo to sort of take that next step and become a regular and you know start every week and you know hit double digits for goal contributions or something just mm. to spark his career into life because it's at risk of sort of just Peter in away. Yeah, tailing off yeah. really um, from a talent that you know we expected to, to be the next big thing mm. right that's all we've got time for today on the Back to Goal podcast episode 4 um, we've reviewed all the weekend's action from across Europe. I think it's been a you know a good weekend of football. Back to football. I think we missed it for sure during the international break. Um, sort of scrambling around for for what to do really without any football to watch really at the weekend. And I'm glad that you know everything's back and it was a good weekend of football, wasn't it? Um, yeah, you could say that. Apart from you know losing six three in the Manchester derby, but <laughs> apart from that, yeah, no great fixtures all all around Europe. You know, we've got some big fixtures next week. Obviously, Arsenal versus Liverpool. You know, potentially this could be sort of the defining moment in Arsenal season where they say we're here to stay, we're here to challenge City for the rest of the season. And potentially even Liverpool if they if they lose that game, are they out of it? Yeah. yeah, they might even be out of the title race already. So yeah, certainly some you know games with massive permutations next weekend, and and we'll be there to review it as always. Um, but for this week, that's all we've got time for. Thank you very much for listening to the Bat to Gold podcast. I've been Cameron Smith. I've been Jamie Monks. and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>